this. This is great. What a time to be alive. Charlie, what's your reaction to seeing this? I feel like I'm here at a historical moment in time. Taylor, how did you figure out a guy had a python in his pants? Python. Bloody bloody blah 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 bloody bloody blah blah blah. Cooler. Yeah, baby. The Como Water Cooler with Charlie Harger and Taylor Van Size. Well, welcome to the Como Water Cooler. I'm Charlie. And I'm Taylor. On the way. It's fuzzy, it's yellow, and more popular than pornography. And more people would rather Pikachu than peek at porn. We look at Pokemon Go. And did he get away with it? The decision to shut down the D.B. Cooper investigation after 45 years of bupkis. We hear from tennis superstar Jim Courier. Also, ferrets, plague, M&Ms, all in the same story, Taylor. But first. The real news. Real news. The real news. The real news. As we're taping this show, the fallout still continues in France. At least 84 are dead after a terror attack. And many dozens injured. This all broke just a day before we started recording, so obviously a very fluid situation, but one that a guest of ours has, well, discovered uh, or at least looked into a couple times in the past. Right. His name is Navid Jamali. He wrote the book How to Catch a Russian Spy. He's been all over the cable news networks talking about this incident, and we figured we'd spend a few minutes talking with him as well well. So the numbers are still rolling in. This uh, clearly is a horrific incident, no matter how you look at it. Naveed Jamali is the author of How to Catch a Russian Spy. He joins us here on the water cooler. And uh, what did you think when you first saw this? What was going through your mind and how it developed? Well, you know, um, my mother is French. uh, So first and foremost, uh, as I say in French, nous sommes avec toi. You know, as citizens of the free world, we look at this and are, are, are horrified. That's the first thing. Uh, this, the second thing is, from a terrorist standpoint, um, terrorism has two components. One is the actual kinetic act, as it were, um, and the second is, well, terror. Uh, you know, as a recent uh, New York transplant here to Seattle, um, I remember very vividly the uh, days after September 11th and uh, what uh, Mayor Giuliani and President Bush said to us. And uh, that was, as New Yorkers and certainly as citizens of the United States, the best thing we can do to combat terrorism is to not allow it to rule our lives, to go on with our daily business. And it sounds simple and it sounds quaint, but that is the most important part is have faith in both your intelligence agencies, your law enforcement, your military, and uh Go on with your life. You cannot let terrorism control uh, this because that is a second victory for them. The significance of Bastille Day to the French and the end of Ramadan uh, to the Muslim world, if it is you know, a Muslim terrorist that's still being investigated at this point, what do those two things coming together mean in your mind? Well, look, ter- terror, first and foremost, is looking to get as much of a splash as it can, right? So I think that uh, the Bastille Day, you know, which is their equivalent of our 4th of July, um, obviously, you know, the French made it through the, the whole soccer stuff and it, they were very much in a heightened state of alert. In fact, I believe the, uh, the 14th of July was, uh, to end their sort of intensive sort of state of emergency that they had stayed under. Clearly it was designed to gain as much attention and to push, um, the, you know, sort of agenda. I mean, look, terrorism is meant to instill terror. That is the focal point of it. That's where its reach is much bigger than the simple act itself. So I'm sure that they chose it if uh, if it was an individual or uh, ISIS planned or whatever. It was chosen to have sort of a spectacle towards it. And I, I think that was very much uh, unfortunately achieved. 
we've gone from a situation where these are strongly organized al-Qaeda-ish plots where they have years of planning, uh, plenty of dry runs, and then they execute their terrorist activity. Now we're at a situation where a dude has a semi-truck, and Mm -hmm. he may or may not be directly inspired by ISIS, and he plows down 100 people. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are reacting to this and saying, oh my goodness, uh, what can we do? This is this is awful. And those are all legitimate feelings that I think we all have. You know, what I want to say is that it, nothing is lost here. We can still win this, okay? Uh, after September 11th, the country, the intelligence community as a whole, turned. I mean, did a complete pivot. We looked exactly, as you said, for directed terrorist attacks. We looked for foreign, you know, Saudi, you know, citizens who were coming here to take lessons, to fly planes into buildings. There was clear, you know, planning. There was funding that all coming from the outside. All people perpetrating the acts were out from the outside. Since September 11th, we have done something remarkable. We have stopped any directed terrorist attacks from happening in the United States. And believe me, there have been plenty of attempts. Now, our enemies are not stupid. Um, they've, they have shifted. They realize that doing a directed terrorist attack is not going to work. And so instead of doing that, they're using, uh, you know, uh, homegrown terrorists, inspired terrorists, people who don't receive money, don't receive training, never travel outside of the country um, to do this. So that does not mean that we don't have a profile on those people. That does not mean that we as an intelligence community, as law enforcement, can't go out, find these people, detect them, and more importantly, detect when they're about to attack. I mean, look, we saw with Orlando, and we it sounds like we're seeing this with uh, Marseille as well, that um, these are people who in many cases were known to the police. Um, so th- there is a profile out there, and that profile has to be developed. You build the right profile, you can find these people, believe me. It is not a lost cause. We had a reporter on earlier in the week from the Washington Post who was talking about uh, some some internal texts or not texts uh, tweets from from ISIS leaders and uh, proponents of an ISIS caliphate, and they were saying that they it seemed as though they were saying that they're preparing for an end of the caliphate goal and more of just individualized attacks. Is this just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see? I think, unfortunately, as ISIS. Uh Look, ISIS did something that al-Qaeda and and other previous terrorist uh, organizations couldn't do. They actually held land, and uh, that was a pretty remarkable thing. It's important to remember that they held land in large part because the vacuum we created when we toppled Saddam. Um, Until ISIS is removed, um, unfortunately, I think that this, and as they're on full retreat, I think this will be an effective, both from a cost standpoint and from a training standpoint, tool to stay relevant to push their agenda. Um, so yeah, I do think that there will be unfortunately probably more attacks like this. And until we get rid of ISIS, um, it's going to go on. Now, just one quick note about that. If you remove ISIS to- today, ISIS's departure, especially in uh, Syria, is going to create a vacuum. So we risk, if this is not done right, replacing the v- ISIS with something equally, if not worse. So we have to be very careful about how we remove ISIS. And I think the problem that we're struggling with, we, the U.S., the administration, is figuring out what that post-ISIS strategy looks like. In Iraq, it's very clear. ISIS has to be defeated by the Iraqi government. So Iraq can stay a contiguous country. In Syria, who takes out ISIS? Is it the Peshmerga? Is it the, is it the Kurds? Is it the FSA, whatever that is? Is it, is it Assad? You know, uh, I have to say that uh, there's a benefit to keeping much as an Iraq a contiguous Syria. So... 
These are tough questions, but unfortunately, until we have an answer, ISIS will remain because we can't replace them with something else. Naveed Jamali is the author of How to Catch a Russian Spy. Uh, it, it, clearly, it sounds like uh, you have plenty of experience in uh, intelligence, counterintelligence. Can, can you give us a broad idea of what our uh, intelligence agencies are trying to do to combat this? Sure. In fact, there's a there was a case uh, of Tyrod Pugh. Tyrod Pugh was a uh, former Air Force member who... Um, after September, left the Air Force in, uh, in the early 2000s, uh, after September 11th, was making pro-Bin Laden statements, was interviewed by the FBI, eventually made his way to Iraq as a contractor, and then eventually stayed in, uh, in Egypt. And, you know, he was a Muslim convert. Um, he was stopped going to, to uh, Turkey um, by the Turkish border police, actually, who suspected he was trying to go to Syria. And the Turkish border police didn't believe his story of just wanting to backpack, sent him back to Egypt. Egypt looked at him and said, this is not right. Sent him back to the U.S. and called the U.S. authorities and the FBI met him. And, and sure, sure, you know, sure enough, he was eventually convicted of trying to support ISIS. Now, Tyrod Pugh is an interesting case because that is an example where this all worked. If, look, the FBI had interviewed him. He was on the FBI's radar for quite, from September 11th till he was convicted a few months ago. Um, and our partners, both the Egyptian authorities and the Turkish authorities, helped us. They picked up the phone and they called the FBI. It is so important that we continue that dialogue. We continue that connection. We continue to rely on our partners. And it is so important not to jeopardize those relationships. Those are so, I mean, look, in the intelligence world, there's two components. There's um, analysis and there's collection. Uh, these people have the ability to provide us information that we don't have because they have people on the ground. They're, they're there. If we cut off that lifeline, we are certainly blinding ourselves, and it's such an important thing to remain. Naveed Jamali, former double agent and author of the book How to Catch a Russian Spy, with us here on Como News. Bertha, the tunnel digging machine may be idle, but for highway workers, they're far from idle. Now let me take you inside and show you how a road and a tunnel can be built at the same time. That's Tunnel Project Administrator Dave Sowers explaining in this uh, DOT video the very painstaking work it's, is proceeding on the double-deck roadway that will someday speed drivers north and south beneath downtown. When enough of the tunnel is built, the contractor can start building the road inside. Segments all have to go in really like a jigsaw puzzle, so they have to fit just perfectly. They have all sorts of stuff going on here. The stoppage is an opportunity for workers to pour concrete. They have the road deck foundations. It requires patient and careful curing of the concrete to get it up to full strength. And a team of high-tech dentists are hard at work on Bertha's teeth. You know, uh, Charlie, Bertha's gotten more dental care in the past year than I have, I think. Right. Well, I mean, she has more teeth than you do. That's so very true. perhaps, I don't know exactly how this works. I think I I have like a couple dozen or so. A couple dozen. You should probably. Now. Yeah, you should have about thirty. Bertha has about eight hundred teeth. They weigh seventy-five pounds a piece, made of steel, and they're designed to chew through rock, soil, clay, and anything else in her path, other than that pipe that was in the way. As she grinds her way along what will one day become the Highway ninety-nine tunnel. You want to hear what it sounds like as they're going and doing the dental work? It sure. This might be. If you don't go to the dentist, Taylor, this is what it's going to sound like for you too. Oh, is it going to be Kenny G?
Ah, uh, that's soothing. It, that is soothing. You know, the one thing that's nice about that is it's not in the echo chamber of my skull. <laughs> or worse, the well, echo chamber it, of it your skull. It would be a lot more hollow sounding, I think. Ooh, ouch. Sorry. Well, Bertha's dental hygienists are forced to work in a hyperbaric chamber to avoid the perils of high pressure that lies far underground. Bertha will remain at rest until the end of the month. She still has another 7,000 feet to go before the work is done. Here's a story we're following out of SeaTac. They're calling it an unconstitutional taking of private property. That's the ruling from a judge against the city of SeaTac in a property rights dispute that goes all the way back to 2004. Carlene Johnson with the story. The jury award came back in January. That is when Jerry and Kathy Kingen won their case against SeaTac, a nearly $10 million victory. Then last week, penalties, interest, and legal fees were added in, making the award now more than $18 million. In his findings, Judge Richard McDermott said city officials had a duty to be honest and transparent, but instead violated that more times than he could count. The worst thing about this case is the actions of the city and how dishonest they were. To be completely and totally unacceptable. Today, Jerry and Kathy Kingen, who own Salty's Restaurants and Red Robin, came into the studio to talk about the case. Careful not to say too much, as SeaTac could still appeal. But this goes back to a piece of property in SeaTac that they own near the light rail station. Jerry Kingen says they wanted to develop it for a park and fly garage. Very valuable. And they knew that. But the city kept putting up roadblocks. Kathy Kingen says it went back and forth for years. All they did was put delays in front of us so that hopefully, eventually, they could run us out of rope. All the while, unbeknownst to them, the city was working illegally, the judge said, with third parties to acquire the property, scheming to force the Kingens to eventually sell. They took that property from us for about $8 million dollars less than it was tax assessed for. The city got the property December 31st, 2009. Then the Kingans found out what was really going on and began demanding public records to find out who all was in on the property taking scheme. And it took years to fight it through to this conclusion. Jerry Kingan says it took a great toll on them both, but they felt they had no choice. You know, we can't not do this. We cannot not stand up and do this and get this done come hell or high water because of people like us out there that get abused by government. Somebody's got to stand up. Voters last year replaced four of the city council members who were in place during the years all this went down. The judge went so far as to say the SeaTac City Attorney's Office violated rules of conduct, and he advises complaints be filed against that office. Carlene Johnson, Como News. The FBI says it is finally closing the book on a mystery that has fascinated armchair investigators for 45 years. You remember where you were when D.B. Cooper hijacked that plane, uh, I sure do. That was back in 19... And I was... 71. Okay. 71. So, so I was minus 20 years old. Minus 20. What about and, you? you? Know, I, my minus 20s were probably my best years. Is that right? Well, you know, you had a lot of, lot of growth left to do. Here's the thing. I wasn't even alive then. I would uh, suspect a lot of people weren't alive then. In fact, it's pretty clear that a lot of people uh, who were alive then maybe aren't alive now. I thought we'd talk to the FBI why they're shutting this down and had an opportunity to talk with Ein Dietrich Williams with the Bureau about their decision to end the D.B. Cooper investigation. What's happening here? Well, the FBI is shifting our resources, so we're no longer actively investigating the hijacking from 1971. We're administratively closing the case, but I got to tell you that if there's ever a reason to reopen it, then we certainly will. Um, The reason that would cause us to do so would be if we ever developed 
physical evidence related to the hijacking, such as the money or the parachute used by the hijacker. Uh, just based on my limited experience as a reporter, I've uh, I, 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 done some stories on notorious cases before, and I often have the public calling me with tips on, on certain things. Uh, what's it like for your office? Do you get a lot of calls about D.B. Cooper? We have gotten a countless number of tips over the years. I mean, just really, it's impossible to count because we've gotten so many of them, and we continue to get them now. And the challenge with these tips is that although they're well-meaning, none of the tips that we've gotten over the years have provided us enough proof to be able to really determine who is the hijacker. Um, So for that reason, we're asking people that the only reason why we'd want them to contact us with a tip for this case is if they actually have physical evidence. I'm sure that uh, this case has uh, consumed the energy of, of generations of FBI agents. This has to be... What's the feeling like right now? Well, we have a mission to do, and we have top priorities that are not this hijacking investigation, frankly. And so we're glad to be able to move on and focus on our top priorities, such as countering terrorism, countering um, espionage, um, making sure that we can detect any threats to the public. Um, so to be able to reallocate our resources on that um, is, is somewhat a relief, but we're also all very disappointed because we would have liked to be able to solve this case. And um, the fact of the matter is that the type of evidence that we have um, over the years with all the subjects we've, lo- we've looked at, our evidence haven't, hasn't been enough to eliminate everyone, but it also hasn't been enough to conclusively determine that any one of them was the hijacker and we wish it were different we'd like to we'd like to come out of this with a win um, but we have to be realistic and know that we need our resources on on better areas of higher public safety concerns these days any idea what you were allocating toward the cooper investigation well towards the end we just have one case agent who's dedicated to it um, but the tips that we get in the number that we get in um, the, the huge quantity requires um many personnel to go over those tips. And then if they're credible, we need to go out there and and investigate them. And, you know, even if there's a great anecdote, a great descriptive story about um, a person who could potentially match the hijacker, the problem is without physical evidence, we can't prove it in a court of law. Um, So for that reason, we just need to to not have to spend all that time on all those tips. Um, We'll still look at something if it comes in with physical evidence, of course. So essentially, uh, just so I have it right in my head, you, you would be spending uh, resources that might go, let's say, to a terrorism investigation. Those resources instead would go to D.B. Cooper. And so what you're saying is, listen, we just got to move on. Absolutely. We need to focus on our on our top priorities. I feel that members of the public, taxpayers would be happy to know that we are uh, focusing the limited resources we have on the areas that, that most need it, that are most public safety concerned today, not in 1971. Again, that's Ein Dietrich Williams with the FBI. It's now been a week since the Pokemon Go game was released. And up at Seattle's Cal Anderson Park, it's a phenomenon. Last night there were, it seemed like, thousands, probably more like hundreds. but Just a lot of people here. How late were they here? Uh, probably about 3. They've been here till about 3. A.M. A.M., yep. Uh, yeah, people playing the game on their smartphone, calling it a hit, seems like an understatement. Charlie, you actually looked at some of the stock numbers for Nintendo. It saw its market value go up by 50, 50% in one week. And how much would you say you've played? 
Uh, I don't know, probably 40 hours, something like that. <laughs> We're supposed to work 40 hours a week, Charlie. Right. So what you are watching here is a real pop culture phenomenon. I mean, you cannot... You cannot swing a dead Pokemon without hitting another Pokemon story. Everybody's talking about this. You go down my neighborhood, uh, there are kids, there are families, mm-hmm. there are uh, you know, grown-ups just walking around with their smartphones. Well, the amazing thing to me is going to a place like the post office and seeing people voluntarily going to the post office to play the game. I don't know that that parking lot has ever had more than two cars it's in it. It's kind of genius, right? Because if you're a smart business, what you're doing is you're paying for... I, it, there's some sort of Pokemon credit, right? Okay. And so you, you, you pay for, I think they're called lures, mm. which luring and you have a bunch of kids playing it, possibly not the best title for it, but yeah. they, they call them lures. And so what some smart businesses are doing is saying, yeah, we'll pay for lures. You can come on out and you can catch more Pokemons. Yeah, well, and maybe the most stunning thing this day and age was the number of people around the world searching for Pokemon on Google now outpaces what, Charlie? Porn. Oh. More people are searching for Pokemon than for porn. Now, we could go a couple of different ways with the various innuendos related to Pokemon and porn. I don't think we necessarily have I to... never played Pokemon, so oh. I don't know this. Oh, okay. Never mind, then. That's not important. Okay. <laughs> do, do you play Pokemon? Well, the original games Currently? came out when I was about eight. Okay. So I was, I was pretty big into it at that point. You know, I had my Game Boy Pocket. Got that in 1997. I was six, I guess, at the time. Yeah. It was yeah. a good time. It was a good all time. right. All right. Taylor, uh. another story I'm following with the whole... Pokey phenomenon. Right, our senior uh, Pokemon reporter. I am your top, your top poke. Charlie, it was nice to poke with you. <laughs> I, have to, I have to insert That's not that. a good choice. When Pokemon first got really popular, yeah. as I said, it was mid-90s. I was, I was a young lad in elementary school. It was a big, big deal. People were getting the cards, watching the TV show, playing the game, buying the toys, everything and ev- anything. Kind of like uh, that, that South Park episode. They, they did something similar to it. Okay, Kenny, I'll trade you my Chichinesmi for your penguin. Oh, I remember that episode, right. So while there wasn't an actual shoe that we could catch uh, you know, in the game on those old Game Boy cartridges, I know your kids are probably going to be asking for a, a new round of Pokemon stuff for, for Christmas oh, or whatever. And uh, Nintendo, again, they've only increased their market value by 50%. No big deal. Listen, I, was, I, I, I live in the suburbs, and on Sunday, so literally three days after this game comes out, I'm seeing all sorts of people walking around on their smartphones with their kids. Mm-hmm. They're talking about Pokemon. I'm like, what the heck? So I went out with the kids to play Pokemon for myself. Right. Well, and there's, there's a trailhead right near where your house is, right? Like a little park area. Yes. And my address. I'm not going to give that out. But there is a koi pond. Your name is what? Lillian Harger. Oh, and coming up over here, what's your name? Sam Harger. Oh, do I know you two guys? Yes. Yes. Who am I? You're you're my daddy. <laughs> We're my daddy. So what you basically do is you walk around, and if you see some stuff, like over here, um, I see a little pokey stop. And, you, and we can refill on balls. Why do you like this so much? And this game has only been out for like a week now. Um, I like it because it gets you moving and you can um, find little creatures. And then you can shoot balls at them. Not real creatures, right? No. Because that wouldn't be nice. Yeah, no. Oh, pokey stop. So you're going to walk through all these plants to find this pokey stop? 
I did it. <laughs> what does this mean? It means that I'm full of Pokemon. And that's when we ran into a large group of Pokemon fans at a neighborhood park. Okay, I, I, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, what's going on, guys? What are, what are you doing? Well, this is one of the Pokestops, which is the reason why there's so many people over here. We get well, okay. <laughs> what's a Pokestop? Pokestop is like one of those reference points where you can get extra Pokeballs, which you can play more with, and you can earn more prizes. Yeah. So everyone meets up here to get more prizes. Excuse me, sir. Did I just see you jump out of your car looking for a Pokemon? Well, I'm getting... Oh, oh, hold on. Do you have two Pokemons? I'm doing it for my cousin. It's like a scavenger hunt. Okay. Yeah, it is like a scavenger hunt. What's a scavenger hunt, Sam? I don't know what it is. By the way, whose phone are you using right now? Mommy's. <laughs> okay. Hey. I don't want you using up my data plan, okay? Okay. Do you think this is something that's going to be popular? Yes. Okay, and why do you think it's so good? Because it, it kind of gets you going. I mean, like, you want to go find it. You want to go, oh, here's the Pokemon right here. So it has you out walking around? Yeah, and it's good exercise. What are you doing right now? We're just scooting around. How old are you? I'm 26. 26? He's what, 24? Yeah. And you're catching Pokemons? Yep. How many have you caught? Oh, I don't know. Probably around 30 now. I'm all just right. getting into it. It so, turns yeah. us all into adventures. It okay. makes everybody go outside. You know, you know, a lot of kids these days, they be on the phone, but why not be on the phone and be outside while you walk around? Because this thing has a tracker. Yeah. So it makes sure you walk around a lot. Oh, so this is good for my health, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. I don't get it. You, well, I think you will if you if you spend enough time in that kind of thing. It's just like any other cartoon. It's really, try, it is. It, it, okay, by that logic, then I could listen to a Justin Bieber album mm -hmm. over and over and start to enjoy it. Absolutely. There's, a total, no. there's plenty of subliminal messaging in that. Do you listen to music? You know, Charlie, I do listen to music. Uh, Justin Bieber, of, of course, the 90s. You, you could cite his lyrics. So. Sure, baby, 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 oh. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. about, uh, what, what, what did you have in mind? I had in mind... Grunge. Yeah. Nirvana. Nirvana uh, used to be a band around here. I've heard of that. They've played music. Mm -hmm. And, of course, aside from the Nevermind album, one of the huge things when it when it happened mm -hmm. was that MTV Unplugged. Right. Uh, that, was, it, that was really close to the, the end of Kurt's life. Right. I mean, uh, dude died at 27. Sure. So, basically, it... Everything was right toward the end of his life. Naturally. But he played uh, an acoustic Martin D-18E guitar on Nirvana Unplugged. Here's what it sounded like. We passed upon the stairs Spoken wasn't well Although I wasn't there Said I was a friend So it's a nice guitar. Kind oh, and an extremely guitar. expensive, too. <laughs> Very expensive. Not only is it a, a rare guitar at the outset, but to uh, have it be Kurt Cobain's guitar, the one he played in an iconic performance. Right, it should be in a museum somewhere. Exactly. Dr. Jones, it should be in a museum. Frances Bean. Uh-huh. The, the daughter. Kid, she yeah. got married, and now there's kind of an ugly divorce, and the ne'er-do-well son-in-law mm -hmm. says, no, nope, 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 nope. Frances Bean gave me the guitar as a wedding gift I'm keeping it. That's a weird wedding gift. Don't most people give like blenders and stuff? Right, right. Yeah. So there's this whole dispute over whether or not 
he gets to keep it. So now it's going to court. I, I mean, this should be pretty straightforward. It, it's like, okay, you're Thomas Jefferson's kid. He's giving you a copy of this uh, Declaration of Independence. Right, and that would make a great placemat, you know, down the line in whatever marriage I end up That's in. probably what you would do if you were a son-in-law. I think so. Yeah, you get a, you know, get, get a nice little laminated thing going <laughs> on it. I assume this guy was Isaiah Silva. Uh-huh. He's bound to take good care of that thing that means almost nothing to him and everything else to, to Francis Bean. And the entire musical world. I think so. Yeah. 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 Courtney Love, she, uh, Courtney Love is no shy person. She's speaking out about it. She's a saint. It's not his. A treasured heirloom of the family. It's not his to take. It's the last guitar he ever played. Now, that guitar, according mm. to experts, could be worth several million dollars. Oh, so the same price as every other Martin guitar on the market. <laughs> yeah. Is that a kind of a big thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is it I'm, the Stradivarius? No, well, some of them are. I yeah. mean, Stradivarius, if they had an introductory line along with you know their high-level models, right. eh, Martin's a big company. Okay. They make a lot of guitars, but all of them get that Martin brand on it, and it shoots the price way, way up. Time for marijuana news. Ooh. I smoke two joints in the morning. I smoke two joints at night. Getting high to help the homeless? Well, that is the question L.A. voters decide on in November. Uh, they've approved a ballot measure down there which could tax legal pot businesses to pay for housing and health service for the homeless. 10% gross receipts tax would apply to medical marijuana, uh, which is already legal in California. They haven't legalized recreational pot Yet, that goes up on the ballot in November. And a former football player, a pro football player, and an advocate for athlete marijuana use has teamed up to open a gym in San Francisco that they say will be one of the first in the world to allow members to smoke pot while working out. This can't be a good idea. No, you would think your lung capacity would suffer or something. Imagine being on a treadmill. And then smoking. No. Okay, well, please continue. Seems like a good idea for former running back Ricky Williams and Jim McAlpine, a snowboard company executive. <laughs> a snowboard company executive. <laughs> and his name is McAlpine. <laughs> well, regardless, he says Power Plant Fitness will open before the end of the year. It also will offer edibles and topical gels for those who don't like smoking the plant. Members will need a medical marijuana prescription to join, but that could change if California voters legalize recreational pot in November. Carla Lowe, founder of Citizens Against Legalizing Marijuana, said it's not clear how pot affects the body, but there's zero evidence, in her words, that it helps a person focus. So I did this when I was in high school, and that is, um, if I didn't want to go to school, Mm -hmm. hi, this is Charlie's dad. (laughs) He's sick today. And I've always kind of sounded like this. I have friends who can vouch. I've always kind of sounded. And the receptionist had no idea. Sure. And she'd go, okay, well, Charlie has an excused absence today. Well, I've sounded this way since I was about 13, Charlie. Right. Uh, and as you know, my father is our boss as what? well here oh. at Com- Yeah. Okay. So uh, you don't want to admit to no, it because uh, he might actually listen. I'm not saying that at all. What I will say is I never did it for myself. Mm-hmm. Now and then a friend would uh, ask, hey, would you impersonate my dad? You know, so it, not yeah. Mr. Van Sines, but Mr. Whoever. Right. And, uh, and there was one instance where um, something, a call may have been made. I'm not saying to whom or from whom. <laughs> but. Well, so that's all just a setup for this next story. Rhode Island man accused of trying to impersonate his own father. Aw. Police in Central Falls say they tried serving a warrant to William Fioli earlier this week, but 
William lied to them about who he was. He's accused of answering the door and telling them he was a 64-year-old man of the same name, his dad, senior. <laughs> so uh, this is a little different, I suppose. A little bit. Uh, unfortunately, Fioli had tattoos that are pretty easily identifiable. Cops didn't buy it. He's in the clink, which, uh, you know, I, I won't impersonate my dad. My my dad is seventy two. You've learned your lesson. I'm forty one. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm not sure that would fly. <laughs> Just not sure it would fly. You know, sometimes I think about impersonating my dad on air, though. Like, if he ever gets oh, stuck dude, in a meeting. Just like him. Well, I, I'm, this is what I'm thinking. If yeah. he ever gets stuck in a meeting and just can't make it up for his on-air shift, I could just slide right in and not bother to say who I really am. Just don't say. Yeah. All right. Now the news. Hey, uh, one more story. Last story of the day. This is something that really stuck with me. Uh, it, it, if it has to do with ferrets, you know I'm in. There are also wild ferrets, and that's what, what brings us to Montana. That's because there's ferret plague going around in Montana. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, and prairie dogs and stuff, they pass it all the time because the little fleas like to get on them. That's exactly what's happening here. Now, the thing is, you can't just go up to a wild ferret and say, hey, ferret, take some medicine. <laughs> they don't listen. So what do they do? They've decided, these wildlife experts, that they're going to start smearing M&Ms with peanut butter and vaccine, mm-hmm. and they're, just, they're spreading it like Johnny Appleseed throughout Montana. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> to, to save the ferrets. Well, but wouldn't you give that to your kids, too? You know, if you knew that your kids didn't want to get a shot for whatever vaccine, yeah. if your kids are at risk of getting plague, let's just right. say, wouldn't you give them an M&M and say, hey, this will make you feel better? Or, Very or, true. or would that risk uh, childhood obesity down the line? Here's my problem. Mm. This is something I fear. What if I see a delicious M&M on the ground mm. covered with peanut butter? Am I not going to be able to catch prairie dog plague if I eat it? Charlie, I think if you find a peanut butter covered M&M that's uh, been tainted with plague vaccine, you have other problems than whether or not you should be eating it. Potato You potato. are in the wrong part of the country. Well, Taylor, we made it through another show. I can hardly believe it. We need to tell you. You need to listen mm. online at comonews.com. Yeah, comonews.com, great way to get any stories you may have heard during the week, uh, whether you want to use the search bar at the top or, or uh, call into the desk and bug our managing editor mm-hmm. uh, at 3 in the morning. Um, that's always an option, too. Comonews.com, a great way to sign up for uh, either this podcast or any others coming up down the road, and uh, a lot of functions like uh, Como Weather Forecast, yeah. whatever Steve Poole or Scott Sistek are posting. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, 24-7, we're here with your news on Como News, which is aired at 97.7 FM, also at 1000 AM. And, Taylor, that is all the time we have for today. That's right. Oh, and don't forget the Como News app available through your app stores. Okay. Absolutely. Next week, our guests won't be Donald Trump or Mike Pence, Vice President Dan Quayle, and the star of Caddyshack, Michael O'Keefe. You keep you keep teasing those people. They said they won't be on the show. I know, but if you if you miss the won't, if there's a call coming in right when the podcast starts, right? Uh, you have to listen to it again. Okay, fine. Rewind 15 seconds if you missed that. We won't have anybody good on the show next week. <laughs>